right into the word this morning. Is that all right? I got myself all motivated last week by talking about those four women on the day of resurrection, and I'm going to stay right there. So if you didn't get last week, this is kind of part two to that. Lucas asked me what to call it, and I said, I don't know. I think maybe give me a sign. Look at, look at your neighbor and say, give me a sign. You ever needed a sign that she liked you? Oh, yeah, sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, Stand with me while I read the word. I'm going to read out of the old and out of the new this morning. And uh, so I'm going to read out of Joshua chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I'm sure Lucas will get it up here on the screen and you can follow along with me. Joshua chapter 2 verse 12. Now then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. Say give me a sign. That you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Give me a sign that you're going to save me. Say, say with me, give me a sign. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And then Luke's gospel, the 24th chapter, verse t- chapter 24, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, say they, 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 and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in and did not find the body of the Lord... And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Say, he's risen. He defeated death. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in the Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Father, I pray this morning that the simple talk will stir inside of us a faith that perhaps we haven't had. A faith, Father, to find the they that are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I have so many questions. Who were they? Who are these women that traveled from Galilee? Uh, uh, The big question I have is, where are the men? Just really bugs me that I can't find any men in this story. Uh, Angels and women, women and angels. It's all through this story. Why didn't they just go home? I mean, I don't understand. These women are literally strangers with one another, and yet they got up on the morning of the resurrection in the threat of death and went to the tomb. I really think that if you keep reading the scriptures, you'll find out that the women of the Bible have something to teach us. Uh, Deborah, Abigail, you look all the way through the scriptures and you'll find Ruth and you'll find Naomi. And then here you have Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome is mentioned, Joanna, Susanna, these women, and then they, 
the others, those nameless women that are always making the casseroles and they're always doing stuff behind the scenes. They, the word they is mentioned seven to ten times, depending on what translation you read. They, say they. They don't really know who they are, but they, they're, they're always around. They're always together. And these women were complete strangers. In the beginning of the story, Jesus is moving through the Galilee, going from city to city. These women aren't from the same place. They, one lives over here and one lives over there. And they really were strangers just a few months ago. And now they have this relationship one with the other. Makes me wonder if you know who they are in your life, who it is that's going through you in your life, and, and why. The, these women, what, what, what makes them break through those barriers and, and become a they? Huh. Let me tell you, they. they. They were women who over here, he, he cast out seven demons. And she began to follow him. And over here, they were ready to stone her. And she got up and she followed him. And, and, and over here, she had an issue for 12 years. And then the issue was gone. And then over here, she was bent for 18 years, and now she can walk. And certain other women. It seems as though Jesus leaves behind this trail of miracles where women were touched by the presence of the living God. And they were former strangers, but now they follow him. They follow him closely. And you've got to admit that each one of them were shameful women. I mean, if you got seven demons, we kind of marginalize you. You're crazy. We kind of put you over there. And, and this woman has this issue that literally in the pharisaical world, she's unable to come into public because of her issue. And this lady, we're getting ready to stone her. You do understand that these are the marginalized. These are the outcast. These are the people that have been shunned. Because of who they are and what they've been. And Jesus comes into the lives of people that society has not included. Jesus comes into the lives of people that are forced to the edge. They're not quite good enough. They're of the wrong gender, number one. But more than that, they're the worst of that. And Jesus begins to come into those places of great shame. He doesn't just remove their sin or their sickness, all of a sudden they seem to have the confidence to be public, to walk out into the street, and to be shameless. And these shameless women who were strangers with each other have one thing in common. They're not ashamed anymore. Can I tell you something? I follow Jesus today because He came into the lowest place of my life. He didn't just forgive me. He gave me back my dignity. He said, Quentin, you have value. And, and, and you may have done or been and do some things that the culture doesn't, but I value you. And I've come to tell you that you matter. And I've come not just to do that, but I've come to put you back in a place with me where you don't have to live ashamed. Can I tell you, shame will paralyze you. Shame will make you run we live in a shame culture. The child care has been around for a long, long time. I really felt as though the Lord called us to do that. It's one of the things that I don't think you or the community, by and large, understands is one of the greatest missions I've ever done in my life. 
And I'd watch parents grab the hand of a three-year-old and walk across that foyer, and they'd get about to the door, and that mother would go, shame on you. At that time, I had hair. It'd make the hair on the back of my neck just stand up. Do you know that if you shame a child, they will not trust you? If you shame a child when they're three or four, can I promise you they're going to get about 15 or 16 and they're going to need some help, but they don't, they're not going to trust you. We live in a shaming culture right now. It's, it's so prevalent everywhere I go. I was in the hospital yesterday, and as I was walking through the foyer, I overheard this conversation. And I thought, oh, well, I ain't wearing a mask. Well, I'm wearing a mask. Well, I ain't getting that. Well, I got that. Listen, do whatever you want to, but don't shame people that are different from you. Do whatever is appropriate for you, but do not shame other people that make different choices than you. That's unkind. And Jesus would never do that. But we live in a culture that shame you for the color you are. Shame you whether you're... Can I grew up and we shamed Roman Catholics. And I was a Pentecostal. I know they shamed me. We've got to be and recognize that Christ came to remove shame. Not to put shame on people. What these women had in common was not that they came from the same place. They didn't all like volleyball or knitting. They were people who had been marginalized and had been put over in that shame category. And now then, they're together. And they're together to the degree that they were serious followers of Christ. They had walked seven days from Galilee to be in Jerusalem and they had hope that he would overthrow the government. They had hope that he would change the world, but he's dead. But it didn't stop them from following. Just because it didn't turn out the way they expected it to turn out, they did not return home. Can I tell you, I've been doing this almost four decades. Do you know how many times I watch people who it didn't turn out the way they expected it to turn out, so they quit? Their faith is shattered. Listen, these women had followed him and provided for him, and he's dead. This is not the way they anticipated the Passover going this year. They had expected some other things. Their hopes had died. But they were still there because of the serious nature of the reality that they had never experienced a God who would love. They had never been around a man who would reach through the shame of the culture and touch their lives. And give them back a feeling of value. Christians, my brothers and sisters, if we don't give value to human beings, they're not going to find it in the world. If we as representatives of Jesus do not give value to every human being, they're not going to find it anywhere else. I just want to submit to you that we as the church never want to get caught up in the culture in which we are placed by shaming people. Come on, some of you in this room are going, I, I, 
Jesus came and made friends out of people that were strangers because they had in common this reality that they had had issues in their life. Every one of you in this room, you have had or you currently still have or you're going to have some issues. You're going to run across some things during your life that are beyond your ability to transform and yet you know it needs to be transformed. These women who had been delivered from and restored to a sense of personal self-esteem, to a sense of value and of self-worth, they remained present and got up in the morning to return to where they had laid the body of the man who had come into their lives and lifted the shame. They had received his choice. He chose them. Uh, he, he chose them. And they hadn't earned it. They hadn't achieved it. I, I'm telling you, one of the huge mistakes of the faith in which I have been raised is that we kind of told people that if you eat your green beans, you'll be successful. And some of you go, what? Dwayne, if you eat your green beans, you'll be big and strong. Dwayne, if you're big and strong, you get good grades. If you get good grades, you can go to a good college. If you go to a good college, you can get a good job. If you get a good job, you can make good money. If you get good money, you can marry a good wife and be happy for the rest of your life. So eat your green beans. <laughs> if you do all the right things, right? If you do that, you could achieve some form of happiness. Listen, can I tell you, these women could never achieve on their own this state of completedness. They had to receive it. They just had to receive it. Just look at your friend right next to you and say, in Jesus' name, receive his dignity. Receive the value that comes from knowing that you were chosen, maybe even in spite. He didn't need anything for us. He came to give us this sense of importance. One of my favorite authors says it like this. I think it's on the screen. Jesus chooses the company of the excluded, the disreputable, the wretched, the self-hating, the poor, the diseased, so that it is where you are going to find yourself. We have to be honest that he comes to choose us in those most marginal of places. And we must be careful that we don't find ourselves pushing back. I would tell you the last 15 years of my life, I've watched the church push back against sinners. You know, Jesus ate with sinners. You can't just say sinners. You have to say sinners. It's just, you know. he, he sat with strangers and sinners. He was hospitable. Meaning he opened the doors. Look at your neighbor and say, otherwise you wouldn't. No, no don't say that. <laughs> I, I, see, one of the mistakes we made as lifelong believers is that we begin to think we've earned our right to be here. <laughs> but, but it doesn't take very long for me to remember. I can, I can remember. Oh, well. He, he received them, and these women had become friends. And they, 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 they. We live in a world that wants to so elevate the individual achievements of the individual that we forget that it was the Milwaukee Bucks that won. 
Gianni, right? Is that his name? He didn't do that on his own. Yeah, but he scored 52 points. Yeah, but somebody else scored another 50 points. They won the national title. But we elevate the performance of the one, and so we diminish the names of the other people on the team. I've kind of refused to acknowledge the superstar because I think it diminishes the other people on the team. We all remember Michael, but we have a hard time remembering the other people on the team. Everybody believes in Mahomes, but do you know that there's a few people sitting on the sidelines that go in and out of that game that if it wasn't for them, he would never be able to do what he does. They are important. That's why you only know the names of two or three of them, but there were others. They. I want to know if you know who they are in your life that empower you to face the traumas and the trials of life and give you the resilience to carry through those moments. Do you know who they are? Because they are important. In fact, I'm convinced that if bad company corrupts good character, that good company can help bad character. I'm convinced that if it's true over here, it's true over here. And that who they are in our lives. And all they knew about one another is that you were shameful. And now you're not. And you're not because he says you're not. That I, I, I'm in love with you and sharing life with you because of what he's done for you. Not because of what you've done or proved to me anything. But if he says that you're valuable, then you're valuable. And if you're his friend, you're my friend. I don't care how you vote. If you're his friend, you're mine. I don't care whether you're... Am I making any sense? We have allowed the culture to separate us from the people that are so important to us. We are people who have been changed by the presence of the living God who elevated us up out of the mire of the miry clay into the solid place of being with Him. They, they are important. The church should be they. We should be. Sometimes maybe we are. And sometimes maybe we allow the things of the world to permeate into, hmm, it's interesting to me, you never hear these women talking about who's the greatest. Never. And the men, they're in it for a position. Who's on the left? Who's on the right? They're, they're, they're in it for what they can get out of it. And these women have already got everything they need. They've got their life back. And they're, oh, notice how quiet it gets in here when you begin to scratch the surface of the reality of the differences between genders. <laughs> there's some real issues there. Ask any woman. Again, notice how quiet it gets. I love these women because they were the first Me Too movement. Oh, she didn't get it. They, they followed him. In the midst of that mist of the morning, they went to the tomb. Where else are they going to go? No one else has ever had words of eternal life. Where else are they going to go? Even if the dream was dashed, I'm stuck here. I am who I am because of him. So. And they are asked the question, why do you seek the living among the dead? That profundity of that question equals, where are you, Adam? It equals, where is your brother? 
Who do you say that I am? Why are you looking for life here? There's no life here. What, what are you doing standing here? Sometimes I want to look at people and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. why are you got that on? Why did you listen to that? Why do you think that finding another one... I, I guess you could say, have you ever been in a dead zone? If I go to Heather's house, the phone, it just, if you have, it's a dead zone. You know, yeah, come on, people walking around going, I can't hear you, can't hear you. Must be a dead zone. I can't hear you. People live their lives in dead zones. They, they live in relationships and there's dead zones. And, okay, let me put it another way. Hey, uh, I was driving in Wichita one day and I, I had a, I'd made a mess. I preached about this a little bit. And I'd made a mess and I needed to change lanes. And I turned on my blinker and I started to change lanes. Moments ago, I was saying words I can't repeat. But now there's a horn. Have you ever started to change lanes and someone started honking at you because they were in your blind spot? And, 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 and you know, can I tell you what's, everybody has a blind spot. In fact, if you, if you don't believe me, ask your spouse. Everybody has a blind spot. You don't know that someone's there and you're trying to take their space. You know, if you try to take someone's space going 70 mile an hour down Kellogg, someone going to honk at you. And I never want to propose that I'm a lip reader, but I knew what that guy was saying. There are certain words that I fully can read your lips. And now he's beside me and he is, and, and I'm trying to go, I'm sorry. And then he waved at me. Very distinctively. I felt so ashamed. Did you get it? Dead zones, blind spots. I can't hear you. Why are you looking for the living in this place of comparison? If you begin to compare yourself to those around you, that will be a dead zone and you won't be able to hear what God is saying. That's a dead zone. Or, or, or if you start criticizing other people. Have you ever been in a situation and someone says, well, I know what you ought to do. Well, you can finish that as soon as you get up off the floor because I'm about to knock you on the ground. Have you ever been in a situation and everybody knows what you ought to do? That doesn't help me. Criticism. That's a dead spot. It's a dead zone. You can't really hear. You're critical and comparing. Or you're competing. You're competing. You ever compete with somebody and then fall way short? I, I got tickled and I, I got, Ash hasn't even been here home very long and here I am, I'm going to compete with, the other day she said, oh, we're going to take the boys to McDonald's and I nearly fell out of the car. <laughs> Ashley never takes her children to McDonald's. I, I, get, I get tickled because her boys are going, now in the Webster family. <laughs> it's funny. A day. Everybody has a day. If you start competing, we don't, we don't, we don't. That's a dead zone. If you start comparing, criticizing, competing, that's a dead zone. And the worst is when we try to compose a story that will make you like me. So I'll write a story and a narrative about my life that will cover up the shame that I'm feeling. So I'll hide areas of my life. 
25, 30 years ago, everybody walked in the door, I'm blessed and highly favored. And I thought, no, you're not. (laughs) No, you're not. See, listen to me. Can I just tell you this last year, it's amazing to me how many faith people go, I ain't afraid of that. You lying dog. Listen, I'm a faith preacher, but I've been slightly concerned. The word slightly concerned is a nice way of saying, I'm a little afraid of that. Listen, I, I, I'm not afraid of that road out there, but I don't send my kids out there to play, my grandkids, to play in that street. We went swimming yesterday, but they put on life preservers. Could I just suggest to you that while religion is pumping you up that I have faith, listen, people that have no ability to recognize through common sense, you concern me. You've composed a theology that is really not true. God gave you a brain. It's called gray matter. So that you can think through certain things and stay out of the pool if you can't swim. That's, we get so binary, we're either faith or we're afraid. Well, there's some common sense in there. I don't think I'll stick my finger in that plug. Thank you very much. Am I, <laughs> reminds me of a story. Cut that thing off right there, fell. No, no, no. Dead zones. And if you experience those dead zones long enough where people are comparing you to them, criticizing you, if you live in that place where you begin to compete and you begin to compose a story so that people can't really see, eventually people will get tired and they will check out. They'll check out. They'll check out of the church. They'll check out of friendships. They'll check out of they. They'll quit because there's too many dead zones. Why do you look for the living in those dead places of the world? We are the body of Christ. We're not supposed to have those dead zones. We're not supposed to live in that kind of murkiness. People check out. They, they, they check out of these things because, quite frankly, they begin to recognize shame grows like mold in the dark. They begin to realize that they can't live with that continuing shaming of not being able to compare or to compete or to live up to. So they begin to hide themselves like Adam and Eve. They begin to withdraw because shame will paralyze you and it is inherited from generation to generation And you begin to think you just deserve never to rise above that certain... I can remember my parents pulling into a Holiday Inn in Denver, Colorado. Had a heated pool or so the sign said. And my mother said, well, this isn't for the likes of us. And we went down the road and checked into Motel 6. You can pass on an inherited shame. And you can, that's a generational curse. No, that's just an inherited shame. It's just a mindset. We can't afford that. Well, we'll never get to there. Well, we'll never be, well, it can be imposed. And and, and it's passed forward. And many times it's an inner thing. Sometimes it's the outer thing. Either way, these particular women had been delivered from that. 
And many people need to be delivered from that, from that shame that keeps us. Can I tell you this morning at 11.30 on August the 1st, I'm here to declare war on shame. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ came to shame shame. He came to rip the rug out from under shame and return the value to every human being that's alive. He came to reach the marginal, the outcast, the poor, the judged and the condemned and say you matter. And that when you've truly been in contact with that, it doesn't even matter if he dies, you're going to be standing there looking at that tomb. I am so committed today to Christ because he came into my life and said, Quentin, you don't have to compete for this. You don't have to earn this. I have given it to you and elevated you to a place beside me that no one else can take you to. Hear me, we need to declare war on shame because people that are put in shame, they don't trust. They don't trust anybody. Trust, again, is not a primary feeling or emotion. Trust, or the lack of trust, is the results of being shamed. And today, in our culture, distrust is at an all-time high. We don't trust anything. We don't trust anyone. We don't trust ourselves. We've reduced it back to ourselves, and so we don't have a they that we can trust. And in that reality, shame continues to have a foothold in our lives, a foothold that will rob us of the reality. Jesus came to address that. He's always looking for a way into our lives to rebuild the trust, to rebuild the relationship. So he'll send spies. He'll send spies into the land. Because Jericho was in the promised land. Jericho is part of the inheritance of the redeemed people of Israel. And so he'll send spies into Jericho. Jericho is an interesting city. Jericho was only about 1,500 people. It was a walled city. And you had a door. Your house was in the wall. And you had a door that looked over into the city square. And you had a window that looked outside that way. 1,500 people, and it's going to be the city that Joshua takes as he comes into the promised land, so he sends spies into the city. I'm a spy this morning. I'm coming for you. And the spies go into the city, but the king of Jericho hears that there's spies in the land, and so he shuts the gates, and he starts looking for the spies. And the spies are trying to find a way out, but before they can get out, they have to get in because they have to get into somebody's house so they can use their window so they can get out. And so they find this lady by the name of Rahab, the harlot. Everybody knows what a heart. That's a shameful. She's a harlot. And she's open at night. And I've often wondered, how did they know that she was a harlot? Because the harlots open the door to anybody. They're in a shameful. And, 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 they, and then I realized, anybody ever heard of a red light district? Yeah. Oh, come on. I know all of your innocent is all get out. But anyway, you know what a red light district is. Well, they didn't have electricity in Jericho that time, but they hung red cords out the door. And the red cord was the announcement that this is a harlot's house. 
I would not think I would trust a harlot's house. I mean, if I was really looking to, I, I don't know that I'd go trust a harlot, and yet the harlot is the only one that'll open the door. I'm not quite sure why Jesus chose these women as he moved through Galilee, but perhaps it was because it was the only chance they had. And the harlot opens the door and she realizes that these are part of the people that she's been seeing out the window that are moving towards Jericho. And she realizes these are God's people. And she hides them on the roof and lies for them. Harlots are good at that. Lies for them. Saves their lives. Because see, they needed in before they could get out. Do you know God's always looking for a way into your heart so that he can flow through your heart? And he'll, he'll find a way in in order so that he can go out. And they found a way into the wall and they trusted the harlot. <laughs> Why? Because God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. God will always choose the shameful areas of our lives to gain access into our lives. He doesn't come into our lives because, hey, we've scored a perfect 10. He comes into our life because we failed the test. He's, he doesn't, he's not attracted to your behavior. You didn't get it. This rips the rug out of behavioralist in the body of Christ. If you're really good, God will do really good stuff for you. Can I tell you, I've watched God do really good stuff for bad people. Made me mad every time. Think about it. God will choose the foolish things, the house of a harlot. And he'll go into that house. This... See, he has to get in the door so that he can get out the wall. And she saves them from being found. Hmm. Is your door open? Is that door in that area of your life that you're not so proud of, is it open? Will you open it up to, will you trust the door? How transparent are you? Are you transparent enough to hang the red cord out of your life and say, this area of my life is really screwed up? See, Christians come to church, they don't want to hang the red cord out of the area of their life that's messed up. They want everybody to think they haven't got any red cords. But if we're going to walk with they, we have to understand that the only reason they are together is because they had plenty of... Hmm. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Jesus comes to use the shame in our lives to reveal his salvation. Jesus comes to access our lives in the lowest part of our lives so that from there forward we have faith in him and in what he does for people that are caught in sin and sickness and shame. And they enter into this house and she says to them, okay, I've been nice to you. I've been kind to you. I need you to be kind to my brothers and my sisters and my mother. Because I know you're coming. I know judgment's coming. I know the last day's coming. But God, I need you to be merciful to me. I need you to spare my life and the life of my family and the people that I love. God, give me a sign. 
How many have ever needed a sign that things were going to be okay? I've needed a few of those, right? And give us a sign. And I love this. They say, okay, we'll do it. But here's what you need to do. You need to take that red cord, that signia of being a harlot, and don't just leave it on the inside, but let the whole world see it. Hang it on the outside of the wall and let them know. Boy, we hate doing that, don't we? We hate humbling ourselves and admitting that we're sinners. We hate humbling ourselves and admitting I need help. We hate humbling ourselves. We're, I got faith and I'm going to, oh, shut up. God comes into the admitted realities of our own weakness because in our weakness, we are made strong. That doesn't change just because you've been married. Oh, sorry. That doesn't change because you've been saved. That's always the same, Rebecca. It's always, I have to continually acknowledge I'm weak in that area. So she hangs the cord outside the window wall and here comes Israel and they're blowing horns and they're shouting and the walls are going to fall, right? Where have we seen this sign before? Well, if you go back to Egypt, they took red blood and they put it over the doorpost and the angel passed over and they had received mercy. See, it's one thing to receive mercy, but when you see red, when you see that, will you give it? Father, forgive me as I forgive those. See, his sign never changes. He's looking for you to acknowledge that area of your life that you are weak in. And when you acknowledge it, you humble yourselves. When you acknowledge this, all of a sudden God comes into that shame. And he works it for your salvation. And he turns water to wine. Am I making any sense this morning? We so many times see somebody's red cord hanging out. And we start shaming it. It's time we declare war on shame. It's time we start looking at someone and saying, If you have the clarity of mind... To acknowledge that I'm going to have the clarity to acknowledge you and to give you dignity, value, hope, and mercy. I'm tired of living in a culture that is known more about who they're against than who they're for. Am I making any sense to us this morning? And maybe nobody else will hear this little call, but maybe we in Hutchinson, maybe right here, we're going to stop shaming people. And we're going to start elevating them. And we're going to help them. And Rahab is listed in the hall of faith. By faith. Rahab, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith. Rahab believed when nobody else did. See that gap up there? By faith, the heart of Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, but she had received. I'm a spy this morning. I'm coming into your life. What did they have in common? Listen, the, the message hasn't changed. 
It was true in Rahab, and now it's down here, and we're standing at the tomb. They had received the sign. This blood. (sighs) And today, God of signs and symbols, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Look at this verse. Click, 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 click. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. If you had any understanding of the cross today, it's the electric chair. It's the hangman's noose. It's lethal injection. They put the worst to death on a cross. The cross represented the worst of the worst. If you hung on a cross, they did it naked and you were put to shame. And Jesus goes to the place of the shame of humanity and turns that shame now into the symbol that we recognize as the greatest symbol of our faith. That cross. Despising it. And today, this sign represents that God comes into the lives of sinning, shaming people and saves us. Hmm. We hang signs on our doors, crosses on our doors, we wear it around our neck. It should be a symbol that if you come to me with your shame, God will transform it into a victory. Oh, this is the gospel. This is what I've given my life to. This is what will make you stand at the tomb of Christ in hope of resurrection. This is what will put you in front of an angel and go, oh, no, no, no. He defeated the cross. He defeated death. He's waiting for you. Keep moving. This is the message. God steps into the shameful areas of our life and transforms it into a place of victory. Why? So that I can help others transform their shameful areas into places of victory. And none of you in this room are immune to shame. None of you. And we're never quite done with it. Right? We're never quite... We continually have to remember. We have to remember because we're forgetful people. We become apathetic and we forget. So as often as you come together, you take the bread and you take the wine and you remember that he entered into our shame so that we could enter into his victory and into his salvation. So we remind each other every Sunday. Are you? Signs, signs, everywhere a sign. Imagine that. You have to be over 50. A number of years ago, well, I've flown for a long time, and every time I get on a plane, I created this little prayer. I walk onto the jet when I say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, I commandeer this airplane for the work of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that everything on and off this plane, both human and mechanical, will perfectly and without disorder so that I and all on board rise safely at our destination today. 
Now, you may find that weird, but I just find it needful. And then, about 20 years ago, I was reading this verse, give me a sign. And I got this, Rebecca. And so now I walk onto that plane and say, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because it's not Roman. It's my cross. And I refuse to let the religious prejudice that's erupted over the last 2,000 years rob from me the very sign that's been given to me that I will be resurrected from the dead. And so when I walk on the plane, I go in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I lay my hands on that plane. I didn't sign of a cross. And I'm telling you, more than once I've looked up, Tiffany, and the little stewardess would go, thank you. <laughs> Give me a sign. This is a private prayer. Do you know you can do this? That's why when I pray for you, I make the sign of the cross. That's why when I walk in Tegan's hospital room yesterday, I make the sign of the cross. Because it's not Roman Catholic. It belongs to Jesus. And I need a sign. I need a sign. I need my body to know. So I teach my grandchildren. Are you making it? Give me a sign. Give me a sign. So I acknowledge my own weakness. And I come to this table. I remember his sacrifice. Hmm. Say it with me. I am done with shame. I'm not going to be controlled anymore by shame. Not from comes from within and certainly not comes from other people. I'm done with being shamed. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I stand before you as one who has sinned and fallen, but one who has been reached and chosen by the Master. Hmm. This would change our city. This would change the world. If we could remember what He said, not what some are saying. And then if we could begin to speak to one another, you're valuable. You're significant. You matter. You are not your behavior. You are not your history. You are who Jesus said you are. Amen? Now look at your neighbor and say, my, you look good this morning. You are shining with the glory of the living God. Oh, my God, you are shining with the presence of the living Christ. You can get up this morning in the face of certain tragedy and you can walk to the edge of that tomb and you can encounter the angels of the Lord and be directed where to go. You can walk through your shame and begin to announce to the world, He is risen. Hmm. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Just lay your hand on your heart. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free of all of that. You need to be, 
I'm free, I'm free.